It's football and other F-words. My name is Zach Lyons. Follow me on X at F-words pod. He's Mike Curtin. You can follow him on X at Mike Curtin NFL. You can also read all about why Derrick Henry sucks and he shouldn't be resigned over at paulkarski.com. Mike's latest article is about, uh, about how Derrick Henry is a dinosaur, a prehistoric relic of a bygone era for the Tennessee Titans. And he should be, he should be put in a, in a museum where kids can come and pay and hear you as a grandpa come talk about the days that Derrick Henry was a 9K rusher, but not quite 10K. Uh, over at secondinbox.com, where you can also subscribe, we write really great articles that aren't hit pieces on beloved Titans <laughs> players like Mike. Um, we have uh, we talk about Prince William, crowning him Prince William. Technically, you know, to play off King Henry that has now been beheaded by Mike. Yeah, we also dead. have uh, art- Film Friday articles coming out, draft content coming out. We'll be going to the Senior Bowl, me and Stoney, so there'll be all kinds of content with that. Uh, that We're also sponsored by Bluegrass Beverages, who did suffer some storm damages, but they are in the process of getting reopened. So when they are fully functional and you can make your way out there because the roads have been a mess in Hendersonville, particularly the road that they are on, Head over to Bluegrass Beverages. At least go support them uh, as they have been, you know, going through it. All of Hendersonville has. So please, you know, Bluegrass Beverages, Hendersonville, Tennessee, who for two years in a row now has won Main Street Media's Best Liquor Store in Middle Tennessee Award. Bluegrass Beverages, Hendersonville, Tennessee. Um, Mike, what a game. And there's something about Sunday where I'm watching, you know, all these teams that were kind of middle of the pack lose. And we see, you know, the uh, the Texans lost, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the Jaguars lost. I think the Colts lost <laughs> as well. Um, but I'm seeing all these teams lose, and not just them, but the other teams. And I'm thinking, Mike Vrabel is going to, on this flight to Miami, is going to tell everybody, in that locker room, say, hey, we can make the playoffs. We are a playoff team. Let's go out here and fight for this win, and we are going to win, and we can win. We still have a chance to win the division. We have a chance to make the playoffs because all these teams lost, and the AFC still, right now, is still wide-ass open for the most part. And I just had that feeling on Sunday. And then I'm thinking, no, no, no. There's no Vrabel magic left. We talked about it all week. They're still going to lose by, you know, 30 points and this and that. And look, we we have been big believers in Mike Vrabel all year, just in the general sense that he should be able to keep his job in 2024 and beyond. And anybody who thinks otherwise has been just asinine. Now, we're okay with the trade, you know, get some first-round picks. We're okay with that. But <laughs> these people who think they should be fired or replaced or or this or that. And, but we didn't really believe that th- this roster was good enough to for Vrabel to have a Vrabel game. And sure, some things went their way, some injuries, but Tyree Kill still played a lot of the snaps. Uh, Jalen Waddle was still out there. And uh, he, apparently Cedric Wilson was giving people fits as well. They still they were running the game the running the ball at will. They had all this speed. But god dang it, if Mike Vrabel didn't pull out a classic Mike Vrabel game when literally no one expected it, except for maybe Blake Bettingfield, which I you know I gave him props Monday night after the game because 
you know, I always harp on the stuff that Blake Benfield writes, and I really did not agree with his take that um, Mike McDaniel would grow impatient. But Mike McDaniel grew impatient, <laughs> and at the worst possible time, and I, you know, Blake Benfield was right. What people could go and listen to a football show on Monday to hear more of my like exuberation, my energy following at that game. But as you're watching it, because we've both been a big proponent of man, really want to get to that top five draft pick area. We really want to get in that top six draft pick. But I found myself saying as the game went on, at the beginning of the game, I was like, oh, this is going to be a, a rough game. But as the game went on, I found myself looking at Will Levis's performance and going, damn it. You know, I really love what I'm seeing from Will Levis. He's really turned it on this second half. He looks the best. This is probably one of the best second halves that he has had, the Tennessee Titans have had on offense all season, maybe even dating back in the last season. And I go, man, it sure is nice to know that you have an, a, a true answer. I still have some ways to go, but you have a true answer at quarterback. And really, I would give up a top five pick for that. Like, I would give up a top five. Would I have liked to have lost by one point and still gotten the Will Levis? <laughs> Sure. But wins do matter to probably, I mean, the wins matter to, if you're a competitor, and will we know Will Levis is a competitor, wins matter. So, like, take us through the roller coaster of emotions that you probably went through in this game as a person has given up entirely on caring about this team. Well, I think you said at some point in there that the AFC South is still wide open. It is not still wide open for the Titans. They, they even if they go four and zero, provided that they go four and zero, which I think is doubtful, even coming off of this, you know, improbable win, they still only have a fifteen percent chance of making the playoffs if they go four and zero the rest of the way. So, like, this is not a, this is not it's wide open. Don't listen. It's we not wide this open. Year. This is not it is wide, wide open. open because the Jaguars are ham- are hampered. The Texans are hampered. The teams in front, the AFC the is Titans not are hampered. conference this year. Titans aren't really that hampered right now. The best player is injured. Um, no, Will Levis is, is around. <laughs> Will Levis is the best I, so player on the field. The, besides the fact that the division is is closed to the Titans, and this mean this win is ultimately meaningless. This division is not closed. Like it's I'm just closed. saying, we have seen crazier things happen, like the Jaguars last year. We have seen crazy stuff happen all the, the, the time. The Jaguars still play so the Panthers allow you, at home. You gotta, listen, you got to even if they happening. beat the Panthers, <laughs> even if they beat the Panthers, there's still a path for them to win the division. So let me say something. I just want to say it's the NFL. I we 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 should not deal in an absolute in absolutes and say it is not wide open. But generally, the AFC is wide open. Generally, it is wide open. That that was my overarching theme is that there's going to be some crazy team that makes a push at the end of the year that gets in that was probably left for dead at some point. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I don't think it'll be the Titans. But either way, let's let's talk about the positive things from this game, which were, I mean, this this game started and I was like, oh, God, this, uh, you know, if you listen to the show last week, you know what my expectation levels were. Um, coming into this game, we both said like 45 to 10 or something like that. Um, and uh, I thought it was going to be a bloodbath, even with the Dolphins being banged up, uh, you know, on the offensive line. And, you know, they had uh, Javon Holland was out. They, they you know, Jalen Phillips was out there. They were missing some guys, right? Still didn't think it was going to matter. They were still the clearly more talented team. Um, 
the Titans hadn't won a road game all year. You know, I was convinced it was going to be a bloodbath. And then the Titans started horrifically. And I was like, okay, well, here we go. This is, this is what it's going to be. The rest of the world is going to get to see what, what we get put through every week. And then the Titans just kind of like they, they had the good drive uh, to, to go down and score a touchdown uh, with Henry in the first half. And they just kind of were hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. And then by like halftime, they made the drive down to go, uh, you know, get the field goal before uh, the end of the half. And I was like, they really kind of outplayed the Dolphins in that first half, uh, all things considered. You know, obviously like the flu- fluky pick six where the guy was kind of blocked into the path of the the screen, you know, and he gets picked off um, in return for a touchdown. And setting that aside, I mean, like the Dolphins did nothing early in that game on offense. So I, at halftime, I was kind of like, you know, they're, they're going to kind of hang around and make this interesting. And then you get the back-to-back turnovers at the, what was the very start of the fourth quarter um, with the muff punt, which I do agree. Uh, Garrett's arm was grabbed. And as, as Mike Vrabel said, I don't give a fuck, get out of the way of the ball. Um, But that should have been kick catch interference. Um, That, you know, also Cedric Wilson did not get two feet inbound. So like the, the Dolphins caught some breaks in this game. And for the Titans to still come back and win after the the fumble to Henry, which Henry should have fallen on and recovered uh, on that that pitch play, even if it was a bad toss by Levis, um, for them to not get any of those breaks to go their way and still come back and win that game, like to me, it shows one: Mike Vrabel still has this locker room, and anybody who doubts that is an idiot at this point. Like this team still wants to play for Vrabel. They all say like Levis talks about how all, he's all of them. All to play players for want to play for Vrabel. He loves Vrabel. <laughs> uh, like everyone wants to play for Vrabel. They are they are all fired up. I don't give a shit about what these losers like Monty Rice and Jaleel Johnson tweet after they leave the team. Guess what? They're in their feelings because they got cut by an NFL team and a bad NFL team at that. Uh, and, and they're just being emotional children and, and taking it out on the internet, right? And, and Jaleel Johnson comes back and, you know, deletes the tweets and, and gets a strip sack in this game, right? Like, uh, these these things are meaningless, and people need to stop reading so much into them when they happen, uh, much less trying to build this into some big case that, like, Vrabel's lost the team or anything like that. Money Rice, who still did not play for New Orleans Saints yet. He, yeah, Money Rice sucks. He didn't even play special teams for him. I don't know how anyone believes that Monty Rice is anything but a, a bad football player at this point. He got benched by Georgia. I mean, it's, I mean, Jesus Christ. I, I just, I don't understand why anyone gives a shit what these losers say when they get cut from the team. But anyways, um, this, the Titans are playing hard for Vrabel. They played hard for Vrabel last week. Now that doesn't mean they're not making horrible mistakes, right? Like getting two punts blocked in a row, horrible mistakes, uh, throwing a pick six, horrible mistake. Um, you know, the, the punt return muff, horrible mistake. They, they are not playing perfect football, nor should anyone be expecting them to the rest of this season, because they're still playing guys that shouldn't be playing in the NFL right now, but they play hard. They fight. They don't give up. They, they had every, every reason to give up when they went down 27 to 13 on the road on Monday night football against the Dolphins, a team that nobody expected them to beat or even be anywhere close to. 
there's no reason for them to continue to fight this year because they're not going to the playoffs, <laughs> no matter what Zach thinks. Um, but here they are. They, they, in the I fourth just say there's a chance that they could. There's a chance. There's also like a chance that, you know, <laughs> there's a chance for a lot of things. Um, yeah, that's, that's factually correct. But <laughs> anyways, uh, the Titans are continuing to fight for Vrabel. And, and to me, that tells you everything you need to know about Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel can inspire a team. Like, and I, I think he came in with a great game plan, um, you know, for, especially for the defense containing, they still had Tyreek Hill. Yes. He got hurt early in the game, but he still looked like he was moving around pretty good when he did play uh, at times in the second half there. Uh, and like you said, they still had Jalen Waddle, Cedric Wilson, still a, a serviceable receiver. Um, and they still had their, you know, Raheem Mostert. They still had Devon A. Chain. Uh, they still have uh, Tua. You know, they, they've got all these guys um, out there. And I just, I, I'm not interested in hearing any excuses about injuries or anything like that from the, a Dolphins team that is loaded with talent uh, playing it against a Titans team that has already suffered a ton of injuries and is playing guys who would be backups on almost every other roster in the NFL. So Vrabel gets an A plus five-star grade for this game um, coming out with the win. It is exactly why he should be the coach next year. We've talked about it all season. We have never backed off our support of Mike Vrabel one bit um, on this show. So I I think we will be proven right at the end of time here. Whenever, whenever Vrabel hangs it up as, as Titans head coach. And, and I think, you know, there's, it's going to be many, many years down the road for that to happen. I think we will be proven right in that the Titans should not and and will not get rid of Mike Vrabel um, at any point here. I, I think he's their coach until he doesn't want to be their coach anymore. I, I honestly feel that way. Um, even well, I mean, even it's like we said last week, it's a good loss because you saw yeah. the fight, and you yeah. know, to, and uh, last year or last week, Braden said that well, but they lost, so that it's more often than not they're probably not going to want to fight again. They it's a real demoralizing loss and I argue said I said it it may be on the surface but I think when you go into the locker room Mike Vrabel is going to be able to get them still together because it's better to go into war into battle with people that you know are going to give it their all than what we have seen sometimes with this team where it feels like there are players that do give up and these players didn't give up and I it's offense defense it did not matter these players were not going to give up on this on this on this game and they were able to take one and they're going to be facing a Texans team that is really, really banged up coming in. You're going to be wearing the Oilers uniforms. You're going to be at home. I mean, it's all lining up that that's at least going to be a, maybe a couple weeks ago, I was a little worried that they were going to lose an Oilers uniform, but this team that we've seen play for the last two weeks and, is trending in the right direction to where they're going to ruin some teams' Sunday. I mean, like, their playoff chances. Like, at some point, you know, the Texans or the Jaguars or something are going to come down to a game that they need to get in, and they're going to look back at that game down the stretch where the Tennessee Titans beat them, and they'll be like, that was the game that cost us. Like, especially in a tight division race like it is. I think they're beating Houston this week. I I think they're going to beat Houston. I'm not sure it'll be that close, to be honest with you. Houston's very banged up. um, And coming in against a team that, 
look, they, they do care. And they're, they're going to be wearing the Oilers jerseys. I know people will say that shouldn't matter. I think guys do get a little bit extra juice when, when you can wear like a, a cool uniform or whatever, something like that. Um, I, I think the, the fans will be going nuts off of this last performance as, as nuts as Titans fans can go at, you know, with five and eight season. Um, but I, I think it's going to be a, 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 a team that is coming in with good vibes against a team that is going to be very banged up and, and licking their wounds a little bit after giving up 30 points to the jets in the second half uh, last week. So I think, I think the Titans are going to win this game and whether they'll beat Seattle and then beat the Houston Texans again in Houston and beat the Jaguars. I don't know that they're going to run the table or anything, but I think they'll beat Houston this week. I do. And, and look, at this point, draft pick be damned. I, I I think we worry about the draft pick at the end of the season, um, and and you'll see what it is. Like, it, and it may be top five. This it is why, by the way, tanking was maybe, never going to work. This yeah. team, Mike Vrabel cannot in his DNA tank. And this team, and now that you see Will Levis, Will Levis is not going to be no. in his DNA to tank. No, he, it doesn't mean he that they can't lose. <laughs> he gives a lot of shit. They're not tanky. And I, I I always thought the notion of tanking was ridiculous anyway. I mean, you can root for losses. Just say you're rooting for losses. Don't say, oh, yeah. the tank's on or we're tanking or they're they're clearly tanking. That's not the same thing. Tanking right. has a different meaning. Yeah. It's quit watering down tanking to mean, oh, well, the Titans are just going to lose. Because that's not the same thing. Yeah. They were never going to tank. There was never a plan to tank. They just haven't been good enough to win. But with the right quarterback, maybe they are kind of good enough to win because they really are leaning on the quarterback, regardless of what some losers on Twitter want to say or keep saying about how Mike Vrabel sure wants to run 40 times a game and blah, 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 blah. Like, you're just ignoring everything that is happening at this point just because you hate Mike Vrabel and you want an offensive head coach. That, to me, is some of the biggest uh, where we're at right now with some analysts, some media members, some panelists, some fans is that they just want an offensive head coach, and so they're going to disparage Mike Vrabel and continue old and tired narratives that have nothing to do with how they have constructed, built, and game-planned with this team. Are they still going to run the ball? Why, yes, they're still going to run the ball. Because guess what? A lot of teams still run the ball. (laughs) That's just what it is. But every move that they have made is to try and make the passing offense better than what it has been. And they want to rely a little bit more on the passing offense. Cause everybody's like, well, you know, that's just Mike Vrabel doesn't really care. And I'm like, here's the thing about, he talks about passer rating. Now it does not mean you have to pass a lot or anything to have a high pass rate, but you have to pass well, and they want to pass well. And you don't have to figure out Brian Spivey. Uh, I just want to figure out how to get rid of Dillard in the offseason. You just cut him. Like There, yeah, there is nothing preventing them from cutting him. He will be cut, whether that's a post-June 1st designation or this year des- or right up front designation. doesn't matter. He ain't going to be on your team. So you don't even, even have to worry about And even if they Probably cut him not. regular, just a standard, you know, see yeah. you bye at the end of the season, it's I mean, they'll save $3 million against the cap next year. So yeah. it's yeah, – You're good. That, that is – Put that away. Lock it up. You don't even have to worry about Andre Diller being on this team next year. He will not be here. Yeah. Guarantee, like, go ahead and chisel it in stone. Titans release Andre Dillard for whatever the the first day that they are allowed to release players after the season is. 
But let's let's say this, and I think someone had I don't know the Twitter user's handle, or I don't know what it was responding to off the top of my head anymore, and I can't find it. But there was a there was something that was like someone said that if you showed this game, let's say this was a college playoff game, like if you showed that Will Levis performance to someone last year and you said, Hey, this guy can go on your team and do this exact same thing in the NFL. Would you trade? Would you trade up for him? And probably a lot of fans would probably say yes. And you got him in the second round. But I think a lot, what I'm saying is, is that like, if that guy's your franchise quarterback, I think a lot of people would say, I'm going to trade for my franchise quarterback. Right. I mean, we've always talked about go get your guy and how that's what I think a lot of fans would say, regardless of college affiliation, because I know everybody wants him to, you know, Kentucky fans and all that kind of stuff and UT fans. But I'm just saying, if you showed someone that guy and said, you can have that guy by sacrificing a few spots in the draft. I think nine times out of 10, last year, people would have said, yes, uh, that's okay. I'll win some games if I can get that guy. Yeah. And I look at it and I go, okay, so they're at ninth. And while I don't really know where they're going to land or really care, not everybody ahead of you, wherever you land, is going to draft offensive players. There's going to be defensive players in the year. There's going to be surprises. There's going to be people that move up the boards. We see it every year that go a little bit higher than what people think. So I'm looking at like, okay, if you're at pick nine, okay, well, that's still probably Roma Dunze. That's still probably Keon Coleman, Brock Bowers, and J.C. Lethium territory, right? Like, I, I, I think even if you get to seven or 12, you're still looking at those kinds of guys right there. And yeah. my my philosophy has is has always been, if you're in the top five, grab one of the three players, Marvin Harrison Jr., Joe Alt, Olu Fashanu. Yeah. But if you fall out there, it's just grab players that help your quarterback that you know you can build around. And and for what it's worth, I like I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is a lock to go in the top five. Um, like there's just no way that that's not happening. Um, but and and I think Olu Fashanu probably is as well. Um, I I don't think he'll go past like six or seven most likely. But Joe Alt, a lot of people are mourning Joe Alt. It's like that that. Last night's or Monday night's win was the the end of the p- potential of them getting him. For one, if they lose out, which you know, like I said, I don't think they're going to lose out. But even if they, but if they do, you could you would still end up with a top five pick almost certainly. Um, and two, Joel isn't even the second ranked tackle on multiple big boards. So like Mel Kiper, I think has him third or fourth among tackles. Uh, Dane Brugler has him third or fourth as well. They're, you know, they, they're including J.C. Latham as a right tackle, though, right? Right. So that, isn't right, that right. like a kind of a key defi- differentiation when you're going? Because if you, because we say, remember, it's horizontal and vertical. So yeah. even if like J.C. Latham is the best right tackle, you probably still have Olu and Alt, depending on your team needs, as the top two guys if you're a team because left tackle is so much more worth than right tackle, depending on the team, right? I don't, I, I don't know that left tackle and right tackle are that far apart to me. Like, to me, I, I think you have to have a good, because like Penny Sewell, for example, Penny Sewell's a right tackle, and he was drafted, what, number six overall, number seven, so. somewhere in that range. Um, the Lions certainly aren't regretting that pick. Like, he's fantastic, and he is the anchor of one of the best offensive lines in football. Lane Johnson, same thing. He was number four overall pick, I think. Um, he has been the anchor of one of the best offensive lines in football in Philly for a long time now. 
Um, I think if you have an elite left or right tackle, um, that's a value. That's a huge value player um, because, it, you know, if J.C. Latham is a better player than Joe Alt, and I'm saying, and I'm not saying he is, but if if you say that, all right, I can have a better player, but he plays right tackle versus left tackle, I'm taking him. I'm taking the better guy. Like, I, I'm taking the right tackle, and I'll figure out left the left side. I just don't think there's that big of a difference. I think you have to be solid at your tackle spots. If you had to choose, you would choose left, but I, I don't think it's a big gap. Um, and to me, I mean, cause what Darnell Wright was drafted, what 10th last year. And he's a pure yeah. right tackle. Um, and he was, he went over, uh, Broderick Jones. Um, was there another tackle in that class? Uh, well, uh, Paris Johnson jr. Went before. Yeah. Anton Wright. Harrison, Dewan Jones, Dewan Jones fell a lot. And yeah, he was he considered was like a first round, round guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but anyways, Darnell Wright over, um, what's his name for the Steelers? Um, uh, Broderick Jones. Broderick Jones. It, that's another, that's like an example. I think of like the league saying that they just want to get the best tackle, not necessarily the left side over the right side. So to me, if like, I, if Fuaga or if, um, yeah, JC Latham, or there's some other guys that I think the tackle from Washington, uh, some, some people like a lot, uh, if some of those guys end up over alt, it wouldn't be a shocker. And look, I mean, even like, even as big boards come into consensus is we always get shockers, right? Like we always get like, Oh my God, I can't believe Jackson Smith and Jigba fell to 22 or whatever it was uh, this past year. Um, it, there's always shockers. Now you're kind of seeing why he kind of did, you know, when you think about it, like how many times have we seen the consensus? I mean, how many times now have we seen the consensus number one wide receiver end up his rookie year not being the best wide receiver in the class. Not saying that's going to happen with Marvin Harrison yeah. Jr., but you have to allow for the possibility that Marvin Harrison Jr. may not live up to the hype if he ends up at, you know, Washington or New England or somewhere like that, you know, just spitballing a couple of these places. He may not end up being the yeah. best. You never know. Like, I'm just saying that, you know, it's maybe – Maybe if you fall to there and you get Malik Neighbors or Rome Adunze, you have the and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, but that's right. You yeah. have maybe the best wide receiver in the draft class because yeah. you never know. It it's a, it's it a to how the wide receivers turn out. Yeah. yeah, it wouldn't be a shock at all for me if Neighbors or Adunze proved to be better than Harrison at the next level because they're all awesome. Like they are awesome wide receiver prospects. They're all better than any of the guys from last year's class. And y'all know how big I was on JSN uh, last season. I think all three of those guys are head and shoulders better uh, than JSN or any wide receiver in last year's class. I think they're all worthy of top 10 picks and they probably aren't all going to go in the top 10. Like odds are other guys are going to work their way in there. Other positions that, you know, somebody's going to need to get a Jared verse or a, uh, a Latu, uh, or, you know, some, you know, whoever you think the best quarter, cornerback is, Cooper DeJean or, or whoever uh, you have as, as your top guys. There's going to be some some teams that probably reach for need, even though you, you shouldn't. Um, but that that's going to get sprinkled in there. It's not going to be that, like, all the players that you want are automatically taken in that order at the very top of the draft, and your team's going to get screwed. So, I think nobody yeah, really thought Skaronsky was going to fall as far as he did. Or, or, or think about uh, what was Justin Jefferson's draft class? Uh, oh, like uh, he was like the fifth I, wide receiver that went. Um, yeah, 
because it was Devontae he's Smith. He's the best wide receiver. You know, he was like yeah, in the, easily. I think he, he was 18th or 19th, or maybe right. he was like 21st, 20, 20 he was in the He was in the 20s because he went behind, he went one pick after Jalen Rager. Um, okay, Jalen Rager I thought was 18, but maybe I'm mistaken. No, no, yeah, Rager, I think Rager was 21 and, and Jefferson was okay. 22 or something like that. But yeah, I mean, like, the draft is an imperfect process we all know like sure it is better to have a higher pick than it is to have a lower pick not gonna debate that no doubt about it like you're more likely to get a blue chipper higher up in the draft you go but it's not like it's this thing where like well if only they hadn't won that dolphins game back in 2023 this franchise would be totally but also different. isn't it nice to know that you have a quarterback that's gonna actually win you games yeah. Like, I, I don't know, man. Like, you, sometimes we, we take that for granted in yeah. talking about Ryan Tannehill's that, you know, he he won games, but mainly it was like a, it felt like more like a team effort. Like, it wasn't really because of Ryan Tannehill. It, it was like he was the catalyst and then everybody played a little bit better. Like, you point at this and you could say it's Will Levis and his connection that he has built with Ty J Spears and DeAndre Hopkins that is like changing the outlook of this team. And, you know, I get it. Everybody wants a, a really great draft choice, and you can get draft picks all throughout the draft. You can get draft picks that are better in the second and third than you can in the first. I mean, it happens all the time. It's a crapshoot. Yeah. Here, here, by the way, that the 2020 yeah. draft class, just to, to, okay, to yeah, go ahead. clarify on the wide receivers, it went Henry Ruggs was the first wide receiver off the board at 12. Then you go Jerry Judy at 15, and then you go C.D. Lamb at 17, uh, Jalen Rager at 21, Justin Jefferson at 22, and Brandon Ayuk at 25. So Ruggs, obviously, total bust for, for reasons off the field, but, yeah. but still. He wasn't Judy, really trending well either way. Judy has been a total bust. Um, yeah. oh, don't it, tell Titans fans that they every time Judy comes up as a conversation, they got to trade for him. Yeah, just dying. Dying to give up first-round picks for Jerry Judy, who yeah. still has done nothing. Um, but... And then you get CeeDee Lamb, obvious hit. Rager, horrible bust. Jefferson, total hit. And then Ayuk, who's been a, a major hit as well. So, like, the three best wide receivers out of those six that got drafted in the first round this year were picks, what, three, five, and six out, out of that order. So, like, there's no telling <laughs> which we think we, we think we know exactly who's the best coming out of the draft um we rarely are accurate on that like just as a draft community um it's just rarely that it plays out that way yeah it's just really interesting and speaking of drafts and busts and and wide receivers um really mad at james foster of no flag films a to z film room he just had to post something about Traylon Burks because now everybody's either coming out and defending Traylon Burks or coming out and saying the coaching staff is dumb or just writing articles about what happened to Traylon Burks, even though they really don't know what happened to Traylon Burks. Um, I'm, I, I just hate talking. I just hate all the Traylon Burks discourse we're probably going to have over the next few days because here at the end of the day, Traylon Burks' shortcomings are nobody's fault but his own. Like, and then some of the listen, injuries aside, like, if you take injuries out of it, he's had major drop issues. He's had major uh, concerns, uh, conditioned conditioning. He hasn't really shown up. They have to try to get him open by using end rounds because he can't get open elsewhere. And then when he has a drop in the bucket, 
It's like he wanted to drop it. Like that that pass in at Will that Will Levis and connected with him on, and he just drops it. Like to me, that's just like he just doesn't want to catch the football anymore. And you know, at this point, we've said it all along. Traylon Burks has to prove it, but he does not deserve anybody's benefit of the doubt. He does not deserve at this point for you to go on the air or to go on X and say, the coaching staff has to do something different. They're totally to blame. This is the same coaching staff with the same position coach that developed AJ Brown. I think they know what they're doing, developing wide receivers. And right now, the, I, maybe you could put some blame on Will Levis because he's not looking Traylon Burks's way. But if I was a quarterback on this team, I wouldn't look at Traylon Burks's way because he hasn't rewarded you to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the whole Burt, Burks thing, it, look, Vrabel said today, you know, there is some value in some of the things that he is doing for them, which is, you know, basically running clear outs and, and forcing teams to respect his ability to get over the top, which I think is true to some degree. Like, that that does have value, what, what he's doing, um, but... I, I also don't think like this isn't what you wanted um, when you took him with the number 16 overall pick. Certainly uh, it was a guy that could run clear outs for you. Cause guess what? Khalif Raymond could run clear outs for you. Listen, Mike Marable uh, said those aren't clear outs. And, <laughs> and so you guys yeah. can shove that term up your ass. I'm not, well, I'm not I mean, here to listen to that fucking term anymore. He's, he's right. And that like, yes, th- that is a read. Like, cause what are they, they're, they're running basically like a, some version of Yankee, which we've talked about on the show lots of times before um, in that it's a big play action shot concept with a vertical post route uh, that Traylon Burks is running. And then an intermediate crossing route that, that uh, Hopkins is running. And sometimes they bend it outside. Sometimes they bend it inside. Sometimes they fake the crosser and then peel it back to the other side. Like they run a lot of variations of that, but at the end of the day, it's all the same concept. Uh, that they're running and it's basically they are hoping to get you in a single high safety look uh, and then they are running two guys over the middle of the field and you're either going to have to double with your single high safety the 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 post and stay on the top of the post or you bring your safety down and you try to cut the crosser because the crosser's running away from leverage of of your corner at that point so the idea is that Levis simply looks at where the safety goes and throws it to the other guy. Right. Like, so it is true. Like Burks, if the safety comes, starts cheating down on Hopkins to try to take that away, Levis can cut it loose and hit Burks. Um, But that's also not going to be the target on that play nine times out of 10, because most teams are going to coach their safety to stay over the top of the 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 vertical route not not try to jump down and cut the crosser unless you just have some badass corner that you're just not afraid of running with your your poster out one-on-one deep for some reason which most teams don't have and even if they do a lot of coaches don't really want to coach that anyway so he's right like he's right and i get what he's saying but they're they're using him in the route that's not going to be targeted very often and there's a reason that they're doing that because hopkins is a better receiver than him and i thought heading into the year that the titans needed burks to be the number one guy for this offense to really like reach its full potential and that's just not even come remotely close to happening um he's not even really the number two guy like nwi has outplayed him this year even when they've both been on the field and healthy so i just 
I just think it's a massive disappointment. And I mean, Burks, I, I don't have anything against him personally. I think he has worked hard to try to get like into better shape. I think he's worked hard to try to like fix some of his shortcomings. Um, and injuries have set him back without a doubt. So I feel for him in that regard, but I just, I don't, I don't have a lot of hope that the light's going to suddenly come on and he's going to be a wide receiver one at any point in his NFL career at this point. I think he is just kind of a guy. Um, but I do kind of feel good that DeAndre Hopkins and Will Levis seem to really, really vibe. Like, yeah, they, like they, are on, they have a connection. Uh, Will Levis is like, looking his way, force-feeding the ball as much as possible, which is a, like a wide receiver one's dream, is to be just fed the ball constantly. Uh, and I kind of feel like there's a, I think there's a 98% chance that DeAndre Hopkins is going to play out year two of the contract, or maybe they work out some kind of multi-year extension or whatever. Like I feel like DeAndre Hopkins is going to be here next year, and I think that's the most important player to bring back that is a technically not a pending free agent, but what we deemed was a one-year contract for DeAndre Hopkins needs to be a two-year in its fullest. Like it need they need to let the contract play out because we really thought that okay, well maybe they'll cut him after you know after this year if he doesn't really do anything. And now he's showing that he still has it, and we have both been on the train even when he was a free agent, saying that he does still have it. That he's likely going to give you really great production and great numbers, and I think that out of if you're asking me to choose between DeAndre Hopkins and Derrick Henry, I'm choosing DeAndre Hopkins. If you're asking me to choose between DeAndre Hopkins and Danico Autry, I'm choosing DeAndre Hopkins. Like those kinds of decisions got to, and it's not the decision they have to make. I'm just saying that DeAndre Hopkins is probably one of the more important pieces to bring back or to keep on the team in 2024. Oh, 100%. I mean, he's been every bit. Uh, like as advertised, right? Like over the, uh, what he was in Arizona. I mean, he's, he's been just as good here and, and if not better, I mean, some of these catches he makes are like absolutely incredible. Um, You know, he's on pace for, I think it's 1175 yards uh, thereabouts, which would be the best wide receiver season this franchise has seen since 2004. Um, which is pretty incredible considering the fact that, you know, Will Levis is a rookie quarterback that got thrown in there and, and, you know, you had Ryan Tannehill for the first six games and the team's just not that good generally. I mean, they, they, he has been hugely productive. He's been hugely helpful. And yeah, I, he's, he's having Twitter back and forth with Des Bryant talking about, you know, how Will Levis is, is that guy and, and that, you know, he knew, or he he knew kind of right away that that Levis was the real deal. Um, it turns out like Colts fans freaking out and and talking about how uh, Levis and and Hopkins hate each other because they yelled at each other on the sidelines in that uh, game last week. Don't know shit. Uh, those guys clearly are very much um, fans of each other, and I think Hopkins buying in to Levis helps the team not only from the standpoint of like it's great that he has a connection with his number one receiver um but also Hopkins buying into Levis is like 
Hopkins is one of those guys that in, in the locker room, how, no matter how long he's been there, other guys are going to look to and see, all right, are you, you know, how do you, how do you feel about it? Cause you're the receiver. You're the guy that that's, you know, really most interactive with Levis. You know, if, if he's in on Levis, I feel like the whole locker room's in on Levis and how could they not be at this point? And, and like, I think the, the flexing on the sidelines and screaming and losing his shit after that touchdown. Um, I love that shit. Like I was, I was fired up to see it. I, I think it's the exact opposite of, of Marcus Mariota, who we complained about for years, just being like kind of a wet bag from a, uh, well, emotional we standpoint. Not fans, fans, oh man, fans love. Oh, yeah, 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 we did. Mariota Not the Royal up. We. <laughs> yeah, Mariota got up and flexed one time against the Jaguars uh, in in five years as a quarterback here, and and that was enough uh, fire for for some people. Um, but now Levis, like Levis, is a fiery guy. He's a obviously a fucking psycho competitor, um, which I think is great. I, that's like one of those traits that like, and I'm not comparing him to these guys, so like, just stop before I, I even. But say he's this. also like humble about it. By the way, I mean yeah. like. You know, there's a difference between, and I think of a lot of people like having fire, having passion in the moment, and then, you know, after a bad game, being able to say, oh, I had a bad game or I got something yeah. wrong. That's a little bit. There's some people that may have QXed your post that doesn't seem to have the emotional IQ to understand that there is a difference between being in the moment and being an asshole on X about everything. Just, exactly. Just and, and yeah, he seems like his own harshest critic in a lot of times because he's talked about how, like, how, you know, after games, it's like, yeah, that, that was the worst game I've played. You know, I need to be better, all that stuff. He says all the right things. It seems like he carries himself in a really positive way for the locker room. But to me, like, you think about Tom Brady, you think about Michael Jordan, like two of the best of to ever do it in any sports capacity – they what is they what do they have in common most is that they are psycho competitors like they have like that competitive sickness about them um and i'm not saying levis will be on their level um at any point but i think the fact that he is wired that way gives him a chance to be like really really good at the nfl level and i think that mixed with like his clear physical gifts is a great combination of trades. I mean, uh, Panthers fans have to be <laughs> kind of sick that it looks like they traded up for what maybe is the third or fourth best quarterback in, in last year's class. It, it's um, I mean, it's too early to like say that for certain, obviously, but Levis has shown everything you could possibly want uh, from a franchise quarterback. He showed it all in this game, by the way, like the, there was the plays yeah. where he showed the escapability in the pocket where he's shrugging off of, uh, you know, would be sacks and going and making a play. The touchdown throw to DeAndre Hopkins was a phenomenal play on his part because, like, he reads out the play. Like, they were trying to get a rub route on the left side for Tajay Spears on that play. It didn't materialize at all. I don't know if Chris Moore actually, by the way, was – I don't know if he ran to the wrong guy to try to rub or what, but it looked like he just kind of ran and stood by the guy that was covering him instead of running and trying to, like, get the the – you know, get the rub on, on Tajay Spears' linebacker that was coming out to cover him in the flat. But anyways, he moves off of that because it's not open. And he steps up in the pocket. He kind of threatens with his legs and then uses that to draw out the linebackers and tosses it back to, to Hopkins, who uncovers because of Will Levis's 
pocket movement. The fact that he moved in the pocket and moved the defense with him is why DeAndre Hopkins was able to be open and why that ended up being an easy touchdown. That kind of stuff is something that the Titans haven't had in forever as far as being able to play make outside of structure, that kind of thing. And Levis flashed that in this game. He flashed the strength in the pocket. He flashed the arm. He flashed the touch. He flashed the running ability, the the ability to line up and <laughs> fold up <laughs> Jalen Ramsey like an accordion. I mean, it, it's it was the whole package on display. And I think you would be crazy not to be excited about Will Levis if you're a Titans fan right now. Like, yes, there's still mistakes. There's still consistency stuff. But this dude has the goods if he can get consistency around him, get better talent around him, and put it all together. And I think he can because of the competitive wiring. Yeah, Ryan Tannehill's not leading down the offense. And, and I, you know, I'm, I like Ryan Tannehill. But yeah. Ryan Tannehill's not leading that, that offense in, in with 14 points, you know, down 14 points. You know, he's not, he's not doing that. No. We've, we've seen him not do that, actually. Uh, so, you know, we know that he cannot do it. Oh, we lost Mike. Well, I don't know what happened to Mike. I think he was, like, clicking something. Then he left. We'll have to bring him in. Because I, I guess he knew that I was going to be asking. I said that. I guess you knew that I was going to be asking about Derrick Henry. And so I guess you just wanted to exit out of the show. Uh, but you're back. <laughs> Derrick Henry, two yards per carry. You wrote about it. We've kind of talked about it, you know, in our messages. We kind of talked about it. I've kind of talked about it at stickinginbox.com too. And this will tie in into some of the outrageously bad takes that I've seen uh, heading into uh, the game and, and that are still floating around after the game. But I've seen a lot of people want to bring back Eric Henry. You know, like to me, it's just like if you're gonna bring him back, bring him back on the real cheap. I don't know yeah. if Derek come back on the real cheap, but quite frankly, I just don't give a shit if he does or not. You yeah. should have your limit should be like five million dollars, right? Yeah, like that's kind of where I'm at. Your limit for spending on Derek Henry should be five million. If it's six or if it's seven, I don't really care. But it does not need to be like ten or eleven. Okay, right. so let's just cut that off right there. Single digits for Derek Henry. Now. If he doesn't, if he chooses not to take it and he chooses to test the market, I don't blame him. I don't blame any player doing that. He ain't going to get much better. He's not getting the deal. He's not going to get the deal they wants because he's a two down running back that is clearly, clearly on the wrong side of, of the age curve for running backs. And he is not Adrian Peterson, in other words. Like there is no revitalization of Derrick Henry coming down the path because he's already a year removed from injury. So he should, if injury was the excuse, that's already, you know, that's gone. And you can show all the volume stats and all that kind of stuff. The running back market's flooded, this and that. But Tajay Spears is clearly the better person to have on the field, and you can play him all three downs. It's why he plays in the two-minute drills. No matter the half, he plays those because he doesn't ever have to come off the field. And Derrick Henry, yeah, he can catch the ball, and he made a great catch. He laid his body out for it, but those those plays are few and far between. And I I like to remind everybody, I love I love Derrick Henry, and I've loved Derrick Henry for a very very long time, dating back to Alabama as an Alabama fan. So. This is not like some unnecessary Derrick Henry hate. This is just a, 
realistic view of what is happening. He cannot make the he he cannot be good despite the offensive line anymore. He used to be able to do that. Even with the offensive line not blocking, he used to be able to do stuff. But this team has clearly you got all the trade rumors that everything that happened around the combine, that happened all offseason, that happened at the trade deadline. This team clearly knows that Derrick Henry is his future with the team is finite. His value to the team is finite. Does not mean they hate Derrick Henry. Does not mean that they don't appreciate everything that he's done or we don't appreciate everything that he's done either. It's just being realistic about a real problem in the NFL, and that's the age of running backs and the production and value of running backs. Yeah. People who think that Derrick Henry, it, like, to me, I, I look at everything that happened this offseason, and I wouldn't have really put up much of a fight if it was the 22 Tennessee Titans. Like, we're heading into 2022. I wouldn't really put up a much of a fight, but we, we know that San Francisco, Baltimore, Detroit, they all run the ball at higher rates than the Tennessee Titans. Uh, there are some of the bet at Philadelphia, throw them in there as well. There, and there are some of the highest scoring teams. They're running more efficiently, obviously, would be the biggest key difference. They have better offensive lines, they have better pass catching weapons. Yes, 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 I agree. But they're not, but the Tennessee Titans are not running Derrick Henry for the sake of running Derrick Henry, right? I mean, we have seen that Derrick Henry is about to finish with his lowest total, more than likely, of uh, carries since he became a full time starter. And I guess that would be 2018. Um, We've seen that the Tennessee Titans are are running at a lower rate than they did under Art Smith right now, and they're passing at a higher rate than some of Art Smith's uh, years as well. They went and got a pass blocking off uh, a offensive line that is known by their metrics as a pass blocking offensive line. It turns out that they some of those players were not, but they got players that were athletic to get out in space and to be able to be able to tried to block people, and they were pass-blocking offensive linemen. They went and got DeAndre Hopkins. They kept trailing Burks, Chickaconquu, hoping that they were going to promote and go better or get higher. They got Tajay Spears drafted because of everything that he can do. They went and got another athletic tight end, Josh Wiley. This team wants to pass. The offensive coordinator that they got is known for a passing offense. He's not known. Name me. The big time running backs that <laughs> that Tim Kelly and Houston have had over the years. I mean, they were everything they did. Interviewing Eric Bieniemy and Matt Nagy, who ha- are passing at the number one and number seven highest rate at their offenses. Everything that they did was to build around or build a NFL worthy passing game, and these people who think that this is this is still a team that wants to run the ball 40 times, they only want to run the ball that much if they are really far ahead and they just want to chew up some clock. Like, that's all it is. It's all game plan and the game flow and all that kind of stuff. And sure, maybe he doesn't want to throw 50 times a game, but he comes from Tom Brady. Like, he has seen a quarterback grow, a quarterback develop without a fantastic running game. And and win Super Bowls. So this idea that he's some prehistoric person because he just, he's, I think it's just mainly his demeanor and his gruffness and, you know, his coach speak. But everything that you see with Rand Carthon and him did this offseason is telling you in flashing lights, you want to be able to pass the ball 
better, more efficiently, and a little bit more than what we have in the past. 100%. And, and I mean, to your point about him being a Patriots, obviously, disciple, and that being kind of his formative NFL experience, what were the Patriots when when Brable got there? He got he arrived in New England the same year that Brady took over and they won that first Super Bowl. Um, that first year, the Patriots were not opening it up and throwing the ball 40 times a game. The, Tom Brady was a game manager. He was not the reason that they won that Super Bowl. They won that Super Bowl because they were awesome on defense and they could run the ball really well with Antoine Smith and, and Kevin Falk and those guys. So that was a running and defense-based team because they were playing a young quarterback who was not ready to take over. They didn't have like elite wide receivers. They they were playing like, uh, I think Deion Branch was probably their best wide receiver at that time, who was a good player, um, but not an elite uh, type receiver by any means. And then by the time Rabel left in uh, 2008, he had just come off the 2007 year where the Patriots broke like every offensive record known to man uh, with Randy Moss and, and Wes Welker and Tom Brady throwing the ball 40 times a game. And he saw that whole evolution because it was, it was a gradual process. It wasn't like, you know, all right, well, Brady's the guy now. Now we're going to fling it around the yard. They won the game. They, they consistently evolved how they won football games throughout Belichick's tenure there. It was not just one formula. It wasn't just all this, like, we're going to spread and pass the ball all, the, all over the field, which is what they're now known for and remembered for because that was, like, the bigger chunk. But the very first years of Brady were not like that at all. Um, and, and honestly, a lot of you guys, I forget, like, how, you, how like, old I am sometimes. A lot of you guys may not even remember what – early year Brady or, or not may not even been alive for early year Brady, frankly. Um, that was a very different style Patriots team and, and they won the best way he that was they totally with that roster and thought of as a game manager, for as sure. a deep dunk specialist, yeah. as a game manager, like it's yeah. because today, I guess the big topic is, I guess Cam Newton called a bunch of quarterbacks like Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott, and a few others game managers. Yeah. And today's been whether that's a negative connotation or not. And I'm like, well, to me, it's just like, that's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing that people are game managers, but also the greatest of all time started out as a, as a game manager. Yeah. That's what he was because everybody tried their best to try to say that Derrick Henry or that Tom Brady is not good and they're winning despite of him. And he turned into the reason that they were winning. Like you said, yeah. it was a gradual decline. You know, it just makes me, it just, it's like people don't understand Mike Vrabel has always been a coach that plays to the strength of his team. Yes. Bill Belichick has always been a coach that plays to the strength of his team. And right now, you can argue that the, I think they do think that Will Levis is a growing strength by everything that he says, even though they hate each other and, you know, all this kind of stuff, which we'll get to later. Um, even though they hate each other. They still realize that Will Levis is a strength of this team and he's the future of this team going forward. And you can tell by how much they trusted him to run the offense in the second half and the plays that they called to get him going and moving down the field, even after he threw an interception, a really, really bad pick six, right? Yeah. That was a really bad pick six. Um, so even after he threw that, that would have been what people perceive Rabel to be. That would have been the moment you would have saw 
Well, we're going to have to reel back and we can't rely on Will Levis. That's what yeah. most coaches do, right? They see that play and they're like, well, we'll, we'll rein it in, calm them down with some run plays. We'll calm them down. And, you know, let's just hope to get out of here with him without him making any more mistakes. That's not the case. So that's not the Mike Vrabel that we perceive and all that kind of stuff. So to me, it's like I, people think there are legitimately, I don't know if, who all is hearing this within the sound of my voice. I know we reach thousands of people. So I want you to know that some of your most trusted fans, analysts, do not think that Mike Vrabel and Tim Kelly, if they had the offensive roster for the Miami Dolphins, they do not think that Mike Vrabel would serve or would put out a top 10 a top 10 offense in the NFL. Even though he's had top 10 offenses in the NFL. Yeah, twice. Multiple times. With they Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. Yeah. They do not think that having if this team had all the speed, all the players, offensive line, the weapons, the quarterback, you swap them all 11 or 13 out entirely with the Tennessee Titans, that the Tennessee Titans would have a top 10 scoring offense. That is that is insane. That is an insane statement to make. Like that is such a mind-boggling, mind-numbingly stupid statement. And I'm just floored. There are people that write about this team, that talk about this team, that are on the radio, that are on TV, that are on podcasts, in articles, that hate Mike Vrabel and Tim Kelly that bad that they're just going to be ignorant about it. Like make ignorant statements like that. And that just drives me nuts. Yeah, I mean, that kind of stuff is completely asinine because there there is no argument to be made <laughs> that is based on any sort of reality that says that Mike Vrabel cannot be a coach of a top 10 offense because he's done it twice before with offenses that, by the way, weren't like uber talented. I mean, yeah, they had A.J. Brown, they had Derrick Henry. Those were those were blue chip pieces at that time. Um, you know, even Taylor Lewan, I would say, was, was a blue chip piece at that time. Uh, when he was healthy, by the way. But, um, it, yeah, it's not like this was a loaded offense that they took to, you know, the fourth and tenth ranked offenses in the league uh, during their time here. So, yeah, that is crazy. But but getting back to the Derrick Henry thing a little bit, um, I don't think that the Titans – I don't think that Vrabel is sold that he always wants to be a running team. Like like that, like we just talked about, I think he play, he's been playing to the strength of his team, which it has been Derrick Henry in his prime um, as the best running back in the league, which he was. Um, I don't think he is any longer the best running back in the league, which is natural for a 30 year old guy with a ton of carries under his belt over the past five or six years. That is to be expected. If he was still the best running back in the league, it would be insane. And before we get into the, like, oh, but his offensive line, oh, but his offensive line, his offensive line is ranked 16th in the league in run blocking uh, per PFF's, you know, team run blocking grades. And it's right there. And, it's same for, let me just say the same for ESPN's black pass block or run block win rate. They're, yeah. I think, 14th, 15th, or 16th in that. Right team. around the middle of the pack. It, run blocking and pass blocking don't always go together. Sometimes they do, because sometimes an offensive line is just really good at everything. But there are offensive lines that are terrible at one thing and actually pretty good at the other thing. Like Dennis Daly last year was a terrible pass blocker, but he was actually a pretty good run blocker. So they're in, you know, Aaron Brewer, same thing. So this idea that a guy is either good or bad 
binary and is good or bad at both, you know, has to be either terrible and so he's bad at everything or he's good. So he's good at everything. That's just not the reality of, of how the NFL works. Um, so I don't think this is a terrible run blocking offensive line. They, every metric out I mean, there is. Remember kind okay. of how like everybody thought the offensive line and the playbook sucked when Marcus was in and then they replaced him with Ryan Tannehill. Well, you're yeah. actually seeing that in a game, game by game basis between Tajay Spears and Derrick Henry. Like, yeah. I guess maybe this offensive line is just, uh, you know, hates Derrick Henry. Cause that's what I guess people think. And Ty, they just love Tajay Spears. Like yeah, Tajay Spears is, is clearly functioning at a higher level, much higher level behind the same offensive line. Yeah. He's, he's, he's rushing for almost a yard per carry more. Uh, and by the way, that's not just like, uh, well, he gets third down draws and gets cheap yards that way. If you isolate it to first and second down runs only, he's still, he's even more clear of Derrick Henry, honestly, at, at that point. Uh, I think he's over five uh, yards per carry if you look at just his first and second down runs. And if you look at his missed tackles forced, he's forcing missed tackles at a rate 40% higher than Derrick Henry on a per-touch basis. So it, it, there is no metric out there that says Derrick Henry is a better running back than Tajay Spears in your eye test. If you're being honest with yourself, except for we'll volume, tell you the same thing, right? Ex exactly. Volume, which means nothing at the end of the day. I mean, let, let's talk about what it takes to be a good running team, because it's not like if the Titans don't have Derrick Henry next year, their, their rushing attack falls apart and they won't be good because listen to uh, the top, let's see the top uh, five, let's say, rushing teams based on uh epa per play for for just rush running plays the ravens who's their running back i i mean gus I, I don't even know is gus edwards mitchell in that, that, that yeah keep mitchell if he's still healthy um the dolphins have uh raheem mostert and devin a chain two guys that are are talented but they are not like guys that you're paying top dollar they're nobody's idea of like the greatest running back in the league uh, the 49ers are the exception. They have Christian McCaffrey, who's still in his prime, um, and, and they function at a really high level. Uh, the Buffalo Bills are one of the best running teams in the league on an EPA per play basis. Who's their running back? hilarious Cook? because it felt like they fit, they got rid of Ken Dorsey because he did, refused to run the ball or whatever it was. Yeah. And, and to me, it's James Cook, right? I yeah. mean, I, yeah. I, it, Latavius Murray is their backup running back. Latavius Murray is uh, their backup running back. We'll you've got the, the Lions with David Montgomery mostly carrying the ball. I mean, they've they've obviously got um, Gibbs Jameer as well, Gibbs. but he's not been like a huge part of that. Um, the Rams with Kyron Williams. I mean, Kyron Williams. Did like, he even get dressed? <laughs> like, I don't remember ever hearing the name Kyron Williams until like week one again when he went off for the Rams. Yeah. Like, I don't even know anything about him. No, I mean, he came out of nowhere. I think he's a good running back, but like, again, you can yeah. just find these guys. Um, the Eagles, they go, they go grab DeAndre Swift off the, the scrap heap, and DeAndre Swift is about to be like a top three running back in the league this year. These are not teams with great running backs. These are teams with great offensive lines and great schemes. So, like, uh, And a, kind of a diverse set of running backs, even like is. their main running back can kind of yeah. do it all, whereas Derrick Henry can but he that that part where he's the i think i think the biggest problem is that you're just at a point where it's kind of like too little too late to get him involved in every facet of the game in his career and right now he just can't do 
what needs to be done. And that's okay to admit. It's okay to admit and appreciate. Man, sure did appreciate that Derrick Henry got 9K yards. I, I love that he gets all these touchdowns. Yeah. I hate that he's just not a fit for this team for much longer. And and I I wouldn't like like you said I think if they want to bring him back then I'm fine with that on the on the uh, or I guess in the case that he is the one B to Tajay Spears one A like it Spears it Spears is backfield next year and if they want to bring Henry back to be like a short yarded specialist uh, you know be able to take a few carries off of Spears here and there um, you know maybe be able to, to salt games away as like a late game sledgehammer kind of deal. I'm all for that and let him chase, you know, the kind of the career marks and get the 10,000 yards with in a Titans uniform, get to, you know, a hundred touchdowns. Maybe may take him at this point, may take him two seasons. Again. Mm, it could, it could, <laughs> um, but let him get to a hundred touchdowns. He would certainly get to a hundred touchdowns in a Titans uniform, like get those career milestones here would be great because I, I just don't think that there's going to be a line around the corner for Derrick Henry services and free agency. You're talking about 30-year-old running back who's got to play a very specific way to be effective. And, um, you know, he, we just we know he's winding down. It's the same way I felt about Kevin Byard. It doesn't mean that I have any less respect for those guys or that I, like, haven't enjoyed their careers. Or, and, and I won't think of them as my, like, some of my very favorite players that this franchise has ever seen pass through its doors. They they are within the top, probably five all time for me, uh, both of them. But that doesn't mean that we don't also, we can't also be realistic about what we're seeing with our eyes. And I know some of you just want to make, make excuses because he's your favorite player. And like, you're never going to believe that Derrick Henry slowing down, even when, you know, he's 48 years old and sitting on the couch on Sunday, you're still going to believe he could come out there and, and rush for a hundred yards and two touchdowns. But it, it, at some point it comes to an end for everybody. And I think it's clear at this point that we're seeing the decline is happening um, as we speak. Like we are clearly seeing that and it couldn't be more clear when you compare it to a younger running back, making more plays than him in the same offense with the same offensive line, with the same play calls. Like, it's just it couldn't be more clear in the in the team sees it because Tajay Spears has played two thirds of the snaps the past two weeks, um, and I think that we're going to continue to see that down the stretch because they know this is a Levis Spears team in twenty twenty four and and Henry may be here but it's not going to be his team anymore. And will Levis and Tajay Spears love each other? Um, yeah, yeah. I, and I love that they love each other. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Um, Christian Fulton to IR. Uh, any last words for Christian Fulton that you have? Um, bye. Uh, it's Good nice. luck in your future endeavors. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah. that's about all we're going to cover for Christian Fulton for the rest of the year. Um, yeah. You know, and it does bring up an interesting point though about the strength and conditioning staff and versus because Christian Fulton is a guy who's now been injured both ways, strength and conditioning and doing his own thing. So yeah. like. It, do you you've kind of said this before but just a quick blurb is all we need a quick blurb because i want to get into some other stuff about are, are people overrating the strength and conditioning yes i think they do because it, it's just an easy scapegoat for when guys when injuries start to pile up I, I just think it's more luck of the draw i think steve waterson has even said it's, a lot of it is just luck uh, i mean sure you want to train these guys as best you can but some of this stuff is just 
you know, a guy gets folded up and, you know, he gets folded up. I mean, there's not anything, not any specific lift or training that you can do to avoid a guy falling on your leg the wrong way. Um, so I, I think it's over. Uh, lastly, let's see. Well, we still. Okay, we kind of already covered the Texans. I mean, yeah. I, I think we covered the Texans. There, there's I mean, not a it, lot. It, like, right. I, I would be interested. I, I kind of want Stroud to be able to play in this game just because I'm very interested to see, like, those two on the field together at the same time, Levis and Stroud. But I don't think he probably will. And and if he doesn't, I just I don't think the Texans are going to win this game. And they're not going to have Tank Dell. Uh, they're probably not going to have Nico Collins either, right? Like Nico's out for a while, I believe. Too. He's he's still aiming to try and get in there and play, but the, I okay. think it's very skeptical. Uh, if, I read a if, report today. Yeah, if neither of those guys play, I don't think they're winning this game. Okay, Mike. We we have some toddlers on X, and it's not just New Jersey guy, but there because there's people there's people that agree with him, so it's not all about. Yeah, Jersey boy, but they there because there's a uh, he you have a following because people think that what you say is normally correct, but they have people that uh, that agree with them in these replies. That Mike, first off, it was Mike Vrabel hates Will Levis. Now Mike Vrabel loves Will Levis, I guess, or and now it's <laughs> Will Levis hates Mike Vrabel because he, I guess, he touched his nose or something. I. Here's the thing. I don't watch the locker room videos unless like there's something really cool that happens. And I see a lot of people share it. If it's not getting shared, I'm not actively going to the Titans YouTube page to look up a locker room video that I really just don't give a shit about. Because generally that stuff just doesn't matter because in the media, in interviews, in discussions about Will Levis or discussions about Mike Vrabel, they really seem to like each other and they are the perfect match. They're like one of those like rare. I don't know if it's really rare, but they, they seem like a head coach and a, and a quarterback that really just are a match made in heaven at this point. And I wouldn't have believed it based off pre stuff, but I, I believe it now, but how continually ridiculous is a cycle where people are dissecting Locker room videos for micro expressions or nose scratches or eye rubs or this or that and trying to decipher what's being said in inaudible room. And first off, can I just plead if if uh, I don't know if Bain is still like in charge of production of these videos or anything like that. Can you just dub in Will Levis at this point? Can you just dub in the words Will Levis just like like a like a bad Godzilla movie like back in the day? Just dub in Will Levis even if he's clearly not saying it, just so we don't have to hear about it anymore. I just I just plead with someone in the Titan social media production department to to help us out because it, I I see I get people that send me tweets and DMs and X's and DMs and I see people screenshot it that I follow. I have them muted, but I see people other people say. But there, and so then I have to go down this wormhole of seeing who's replying, who's agreeing, and just the, it's just a, it's an epidemic of people that just are never going to be happy. Even after a miraculous, a miraculous win, one of the best wins in franchise history. You know, we talked about the Detroit Lions win. Uh, there was a guy, uh, Taylor Hurst on Twitter, who, um, 
he went to the Miami game. His girlfriend or his wife, his significant other, uh, forced him to leave because they thought the game was over of this Miami game. And oh. there's like, thousands of stories about the about the, the Detroit Lions game. So this is like one of the best wins. And the first thing is, is like, the first thing out of your mouth is like, Will Levis better get the game ball. I better fucking see it. Or I'm going to make a video in my car. Or I'm going to reply on Twitter. Or I'm going to get on the YouTube page and be so mad in the comments and the tweets and blah, 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 blah. Because obviously that's the only way to show love to a quarterback is in, like, I'm just sick of it. Like, I just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a cycle. Like, it's, it's a cycle that people need to somehow break this habit. And like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to be so obsessed with this that it ruins <coughs> your, your enjoyment of a win. Instead, yeah. you're focused on the wrong stuff that doesn't fucking matter. This is, this is what I think this really comes down to. Is I, I think some people jump the gun on, on the Mike Vrabel thing. That, that some people got too frustrated and jumped ship on Mike Vrabel, and now they don't really want to walk that back, even though the team is clearly playing still for Mike Vrabel and just pulled off a like miraculous win uh, in, you know, against what should have been the number one team in the AFC had they, they held on and beaten the Titans. Um, that, and now they're looking for other reasons to hate on and dump on Mike Vrabel. Like, I just think that this is a you're you are looking you're actively looking for reasons to shit on this guy. If you have to go and microanalyze body language from a you know three second clip of them in the locker room after a game, or or count how many times he says his name in post game speeches that are edited. Uh, and not full length, obviously, uh, you know, it's, it's absolutely a waste of your time to be getting yourself wrapped up in all this. It, they clearly like each other. Mike or uh, Will Levis's family has gone on the record to the athletic. I think right when he was drafted or, or uh, yeah, or maybe shortly thereafter and said, we are so glad that Will ended up in Tennessee because Mike Vrabel is the perfect kind of guy to to help rein Will in. Like, you know, Will needs somebody who's going to coach him hard and hold him accountable and not tell him, you know, he's God's greatest, you know, gift to the earth. And guess what? That's what Mike Vrabel's doing and it's working. And Will Levis respects him and is clearly it's a functioning relationship and it's going to be a growing relationship. And I'm sure you know, once Will Levis has been in the league for a few years and he's a little bit more mature and him and Mike Vrabel have been around each other for a while, I'm sure there will be a little bit more of the, like, the love shown from Mike Vrabel to to Will Levis. But right now, this kid needs to be kept in check. I think it's a little bit of, like, a fire and ice kind of thing where, like, Levis is just, like, this unbridled, like, firebrand of a, a personality, especially on the field. And Vrabel's a little bit cooler, calmer, and needs to, like, bring him down a little bit uh to keep him in check so he's not just you know playing off of pure emotion which is not a good thing to do uh as an NFL quarterback so i just think it's it's such a massive reach based on nothing i mean there's no reporting there's no nothing besides speculative analysis of body language in hallway clips 
to back this up. So let's drop it and let's enjoy a big win and, and a quarterback who seems to be coming into his own and like like easily the most exciting quarterback prospect that we've seen, you know, since what, 2015? So almost a decade uh, playing for the Titans. So like enjoy that. Enjoy that. Don't let all this other nonsense, uh, you know, feed you into this dark place of having to figure out who hates who and who is, you know, what, what it's stupid. It's just a waste of time. I think Stoney put it best. Levis is like a horny teenager and Vrabel has to pass out condoms. So he doesn't get somebody pregnant. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I just, I find this whole, like this week for whatever reason, heading into the game and after the game has been filled with some of the just dumb mistakes, dumb, 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 dumb takes. And at this point, I think it's almost a bit. I think I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say something. I think some of these people are are wanting to get paid by Twitter Blue. And God dang it, I hope that $13 is really worth it for you to go on and make your ass yourself. And maybe it is. Maybe $13 is what you need to make ends meet. You know, it's the final thing to push you over to get that, you know, a, a better refrigerator or something. I don't know. I don't know what you need the $13 for. You know, if it's the last thing of a student loan payment or something. But at this point, I just have to think it's a bit. I think it's a bit, and that's why I got him muted. And you know what? I'm going to say this. I don't want to. I don't want anybody to send me any DMs or screenshots of what he says. And I think that will just be good. I think we'll just be good after that. Yeah. Um, that will do it for us. Bluegrass Beverage is our sponsor. Uh, stay, go follow at Bluegrass Bev on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And get up to date with them and see how you can support them through now that the tornadoes have passed through. Go to paulkarski.com if you want to read some more hate about Derrick Henry. Mike wrote about it today. You can follow him on X at MikeHerndonNFL. Over on Twitter or over on Stacking Inbox, we got all kinds of articles coming out. We got a film uh, Friday coming out on Tajay Spears uh, on Friday by Stoney, which will be which will be excellent and fun. Uh, follow me on X at Efforts Pod. This has been Football and Other Efforts, and you have just been F.